0: Hey listeners, it's Mitch. Have you been listening to Northward since the beginning? I know not all of you have. And you know how I know that data. Numbers. Numbers that show there are more of you listening now than we had back in February. If you have been listening since February though, this episode will sound a little familiar. If you haven't though, this is what you miss by not going through our back catalog. It's a great interview with a guy who wrote a book about the Adirondacks, and it's timely because the two of us are gonna have a live conversation about his book over Zoom on September 11th. Anyway, here goes. At first, I'm
1: kind of wondering why in the world have I come to this town that in that moment is kind of feeling like the Las Vegas of the Adirondacks. And like, why am I here? Why did I not go to a wilderness lake? <laughs> right? It's kind of good to have that diversity to be able
0: to see why that place can matter in this, this region's history. From NCPR, welcome to Northwards. People, ideas, and conversations from and about northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke Support for the Northwards podcast comes from St. Lawrence University, where a strong liberal arts tradition with real-world applications equips students to solve 21st century challenges. stlawu.edu I love me a good welcome sign. You know what better proof than you've been someplace than posing for a picture in front of the sign that says you're there? Welcome to New York, the Empire State Giant sign along the interstate. Someplace I have a picture of me next to the sign that says Welcome to Indiana Crossroads, USA, which sounded to me like kind of a strange thing to brag about, but I still posed for it anyway. Frankly, though. I kind of like the understated signs that you find on back roads, like when a state knows that they have to welcome you there, but they know not many people are going to see the sign, so they don't spend much money on it. It's not a very big sign, like a simple entering Vermont. The signs that mark the blue line, you know, the, the boundary of the Adirondack Park, are someplace in the middle. They're cool. They, they look like the Adirondack Park, and Yet there are so many ways into the park that some of them are in places you don't think are the Adirondacks, like Hopkinton, New York, or Lake George Village. But then again, that's one of the ways that the Adirondack Park is unique. Writer Matt DeLos went in search of a lot of ways the park is distinctive, both in and of itself and within the psyche of the people of this country. He lives in the Ithaca area, which is, you'll note, outside the Adirondack Park. But he drove a lot into the park over a period of years. And then he wrote a book. He joined us by Zoom to talk about it. The book collects those observations. It's called In the Adirondacks, Dispatches from the Largest Park in the Lower 48. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for making some time. Thanks so much for having me. What was it that originally captivated you about the Adirondacks? Oh, It's such a good
1: question, because I feel like I originally had this engagement with the Adirondacks when I was relatively young. I kind of had heard of the Adirondacks, but I'd never really
0: been there.
1: And, you know, you kind of have this idea of places from afar, and they're never really at all what you think they're going to end up being. And then I think that kind of sat there, and I didn't really think much about it for a long time. And then all of a sudden, I kind of find myself going back there, like I kind of travel through the edge with some friends, and then I kind of just get this growing interest. And I just kind of became fascinated with this idea of what I once thought it was and what it actually might be.
0: Do you think that's a almost a proxy for for the way the, the country kind of sees the Adirondacks? I mean, I kind of see
1: how the country sees the Adirondacks as almost like this wild west frontier in a way, right? <laughs> like, I mean, There's this idea of it being six million acres of wilderness, which is um, like it's kind of a ridiculous thing. And yet I think it's so prominent that you can often be in the Adirondacks looking at a small town and be like, yes, I'm in the wilderness. So it's a little different maybe, but maybe there's that kind of level of refinement, that gradually getting to know it in a way.
0: I gather when it came to writing the, uh, the dispatches that make up this book, there was there's plenty of research in the Adirondack Experience archives. But you also spent a lot of time in places like souvenir shops and, and tourist traps and, and, and on hiking trails. Why was that part of your research important to this? i take a really broad definition of what
1: might be a document that would inform a a history or kind of a contemporary take on the adirondacks and i I think places like souvenir shops are absolutely fascinating i mean what do we actually make of a souvenir shop that has an entire aisle dedicated to loon knickknacks i mean to (laughs) me that's just a fascinating cultural object of like what does this place mean and what value can we find in it and yeah i think even maybe more important than that like what are the stories that we can kind of find by looking beyond Kind of to like non-traditional sources in a way.
0: What were you hoping to accomplish, or what are you hoping to accomplish through sharing these views with with the people who will read this book?
1: Yeah, I, I think maybe um, I guess if we're talking about audience, maybe there are a couple different audiences who might sort of read this. I think there are a lot of people out there who have heard of the Adirondacks. They've maybe driven through it. They've maybe spent a night in Old Forge or Lake Placid. But I, I think it's kind of possible to have heard of it or have been there a little bit and not really have much of a sense of the region. In, in a way, you can kind of drive through it and kind of shrug and say, ah, uh, it's another forest. And and I think for those people who kind of have at least heard of the Adirondacks before, it's kind of a bit of a, a primer, this kind of like engaging, lively way to get to know the region, um, right? And, and I think to kind of start to see a little bit of the complexity of the region through the stories that I tell. Uh, but I think at a different level, for those of you who have kind of... Um, have a deeper engagement with the place who have spent time there who have grown up going to camp or who own a camp and go up there regularly or who live there it's kind of an opportunity to take a step back and kind of see this idea of the Adirondacks um kind of with a wider perspective like what is its role in American culture whatever that might exactly mean um right like how do we kind of prop up this idea of the adirondacks in various ways and like how can we be kind of appreciative
0: of it but also maybe kind of critical of what we've done with it you used the term earlier uh, wild west uh, what do you think has historically set the adirondacks apart uh, from other parts of the country that also kind of have this outdoors mystique places like the rockies or the desert southwest which which might you know be the real wild west
1: yeah that's a, that's a good question I mean, I think part of it just has to be geography, right? I mean, it's proximity to so many people. And and I think with that proximity, I mean, as soon as you start having trains that go there, it's relatively easy to get there. So you have a, a lot of kind of the shuttling back and forth. And I, I think it kind of just builds almost this cultural momentum in that like, a friend goes and the friend tells you about it. Right. This gradually kind of accumulates and becomes significant i mean i think also if you look at the way people have titled books or paintings i mean every single one of those that is titled in the adirondacks or the adirondacks or sunset on an adirondack lake right you're just kind of gradually building this this idea it's also like a very defined physical realm right i mean when you drive into the adirondacks you're crossing this boundary to actually enter the park but But you're actually kind of shifting the ecology that you're within, right? You see this world that looks different from lower elevations, and so it's not only just that you've crossed a line; it's that the lake looks and smells different. It's that the water's a different temperature. If you go up in April and May, it might actually feel like late winter, not early spring. It's um, right. There's actually that very kind of physical element to it as well.
0: I thought it was interesting you make the point, and I had never considered it in exactly these terms. But uh, but it's a good point that uh, you know there are so many signs that show you where you're crossing the blue line. Welcome to the Adirondack Park. And yet you never do see people standing there posing in front of that sign the way they do in front of the sign that, you know, goes into the Grand Canyon or Yosemite or or Yellowstone.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, right? You would think, I mean, I think I said this in the book, but it would be interesting. Like, you you see those signs and, like, the grass is actually like, worn down next to the sign. Like, so many people have stopped. And, like, we just haven't quite yet put that value on crossing into the Adirondacks like, I, yet, I think. And it is kind of, like, a recent invention, right? I mean, the, the boundaries of the Adirondacks were kind of poorly defined until, like, I mean, not actually poorly defined on a map, but like poorly defined as most people saw them until the 60s and 70s, right? And it's a a pretty recent phenomenon that we have this kind of absolutely defined, (laughs) I'm in the Adirondacks, I'm not in the Adirondacks.
0: (laughs) You do write uh, in many places about the Adirondack look, I'll put it in Mm -hmm. air quotes here, Um, the, the particular juxtapositioning of trees and lakes and landscape. How would you describe what that Adirondack look is?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would first of all say that it seems like it's kind of shape-shifting. I mentioned that it kind of like changes depending on the weather. Like there are places that could be foggy and look like the Adirondacks and they're sunny and they, they don't. I think, again, it's pointing to sort of those um, those more northerly species, right? I mean, if you think about the Adirondacks as kind of this, this defined physical region, like it does have a different geology. And so it has different species as well. Like even the water color is different. Um right it's it's pines, it's spruce. it's that dark tannic water. I, I mean, I would say it's even the way that like the water flows over the rocks, right? It looks different than it does in utica. it's it's much different <laughs> well and and also the 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 siding on buildings that you write about you're right. and it's not just kind of these ecologically ecological factors, it's these cultural ones that kind of build off of those ecological ones, right like we we would see maybe um, brainstorm siding of kind of like the rustic edge being a little bit out of place in New York City in the Adirondacks, it just kind of makes sense. And to me, that's kind of a particularly interesting place to kind of dig in and find a history like where does it make sense and why?
0: So why would you contend it's important to consider the examples of, of the Adirondacks today in the context of all the other natural places in the US?
1: Yeah, um, again, I think kind of a couple different angles on this. I think first of all, I see a lot of value of kind of considering sort of specific and kind of immersive histories of regions right i think there's a lot to learn from those examples um and and i also think it's worthwhile to kind of consider sort of histories that didn't happen across a national stage i mean the model of the adirondacks as far as its preservation conservation however you want to label it it didn't happen everywhere right we don't have these large parks that kind of mingle human communities and natural natural communities and like so, it's kind of worthwhile to ask: What if that had happened? What if this was the model? What if we didn't have Yellowstone, but we had a broader Yellowstone region that
0: encompassed more complexity than it does? How significant do you think is the is the Forever Wild concept in in shaping both the past and also the present of the Adirondacks?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a pretty complex one, right? I mean, I think what to me is particularly interesting is how people have kind of. Held on to that idea as being something that's pretty permanent and we kind of think it today as like forever wild being almost in a way like wilderness right that's like the rise of wilderness areas in the park during the whole APA thing. Um, But yeah, I think it, it could be this more slightly malleable. Category, right? Because it's really like we're defining an ethic. What is it that we can do on this land and that place? And we've kind of recently at least defined Forever Wild as we can do absolutely nothing to that. And yet, I mean, to, for the most part, but I mean, that wasn't always the case, right? It was a little bit more flexible back in the early 20th century and late 19th century.
0: Well, and, and there is an inherent irony about, you know, the idea of a, of a, a human designated wilderness because, you know, the, the wilderness only exists because humans say, say it's wilderness.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. It's all policy
0: in a way. Right. It's all the decision. It's all an artifact. Um, I'm especially interested to have you talk about your attitude towards the southeastern part of the Adirondack Park, Lake George and the area around it, because it is it is a different brand of the park, if you will, than the, than what you experience in like inlet or the high peaks or. Um, yeah. But you're right with a lot of affection for Lake George. Eventually, right? I, I <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I right. am kind of liking it. At first, I'm kind of wondering
1: why in the world have I come to this town that in that moment is kind of feeling like the Las Vegas of the Adirondacks and like, why am I here? Why did I not go to a wilderness lake? And I, I mean, I think that's kind of all part of my process of really getting to know this place and not just kind of sticking to the original idea of what I thought it should be. I mean, I think if you can come to appreciate Lake George as some sort of essential part of what the Adirondacks actually means today. Like I think we're probably all better for it, right? It's kind of good to have that diversity to be able to see why that place can matter in this this region's history. Did you feel
0: in some ways like um, you know, uh, uh, in in a you know, in maybe a a sociological way, an explorer um, when you set about to put this book together?
1: I don't know that I would have ever used kind of the word explorer for it. I mean, to (laughs) me, I was kind of this this out of town or kind of bumbling through the region, kind of seeing what I can learn. (laughs) That's an explorer, right? (laughs) Yeah, of of a sort. You're you're right. um, And, you know, I would take these kind of meandering drives to the region. I would say like, okay, you know, I'm going to start in Old Forge and I'm going to drive to the high peaks and then back through Lake George and and come back. And it was only really later that I guess, after I had done a few of those drives, that I sort of um, began then to really dig into Adirondack literature and kind of Really start to get a lot of note, to know these stories and get to know what other people had written and kind of develop my understanding as I went went through them.
0: Were there some kind of long lasting surprises that came out of this project for you? Yeah, you
1: know, I think one is um, when I started kind of doing my field research on this book or driving around. Um, I it had never really occurred to me that I might want to have a boat. It's just like coming <laughs> from some place that doesn't have lakes and doesn't have rivers. I was like, I wouldn't need a boat, right? I can walk. I can drive. And I think just having that realization um, kind of made me much more aware of the importance of water in the history of the Adirondacks and kind of much more, like I was able to actually visit some of these places that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to see, right? I mean, the opportunity to kind of thread my way up through a boreal stream is just something that I would have never gotten on a roadside, and it just kind of continues to surprise me. And of course, then there's that whole history of guide boats and lightweight canoes, which is about opening up the wilderness to more people and... So like that history kind of cascaded from that realization
0: one of the earliest anecdotes that you relate in this book uh, comes when you're a, a kind of a roadside diner in uh, in Tupper Lake and you overhear some uh, some young people talking about how they really hope to to get out of there and and you write about what your feelings about that were as it was as that conversation was going on do you think you know uh, however many months and years on into into this project you have a different understanding or a different appreciation for for what they were talking about yeah i think
1: i think as powerful as the identity and kind of the presence of the adirondacks is it doesn't have quite have the power to overcome some of the problems of rural america right and i i I can see why it wouldn't be enough Right, I, I think from an outsider's perspective, I mean I was I was standing there and I'm like, look, I can go to this wilderness area in twenty minutes, and I can go to this canoe wilderness area in twenty minutes. But that really kind of doesn't at all reflect the lived experience of that place. And right, this is one of I think looking to the future, one of the serious problems of the Adirondacks is like it's wonderful that we see it as a wilderness, it's wonderful that we see it as this retreat from the modern world, but like how does it become a much more livable place? And obviously, there are people who are much more informed on these issues currently working on this and trying to figure out how it is that you revive some of these towns so that um, younger people actually want to stay
0: there. All right. So so it is just you and me and our listeners at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So I have to ask what is your wife's secret loon name for an Adirondack camp? I would never reveal <laughs> that. <laughs>
1: It's too good. You'll just have to trust me that it's too good. All right. And you know what? It probably already exists out there, but I'm just going to pretend that it doesn't.
0: <laughs> if you don't Google it, it doesn't exist. Fair enough. Well, Matt Delos, it's a it's it's a really thought-provoking and uh, and such a well-written book. Thank you so much for sharing it with us.
1: Thanks again for having me. I really enjoyed having our talk.
0: Matt Delos joined us from Ithaca. His recent book is called In the Adirondacks: Dispatches from the Largest Park in the Lower 48. The two of us are going to talk again soon. He's the first guest in a series of interviews that I'm conducting for the ADKX, the Adirondack Experience. The series is called In the Adirondack Library. This first conversation will take place virtually on the evening of September 11th. You'll find a link to register and you can read more information at ncpr.org northwards. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Northwards. I'm Mitch Tyke. I hope you enjoyed our interview, and you can catch new content every Friday right here or wherever you get your podcasts. Find out more about Northwards and NCPR on our mobile app or at our website, ncpr.org. And while you're there, make a donation to support everything you hear on North Country Public Radio. Northwards is an NCPR podcast production. The show is written, edited, and produced by Mitch Tyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Caitlin Kelly handles our social media. Bill Hanel is our digital director. And Doyle Dean is our production manager. Music is by the Wickmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR North Country Public Radio.